Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, before I get into the listings of what happened on each show, I do want to make notice, well, make note, that before the end of today's show, I will be giving a brief um, memorial or tribute to the Ring of Honor legend himself, Jay Briscoe. It was um found this week that he did pass away in a car crash but i'll get more into that towards the end of the show now with that being said let's start the show raw raw will open up with the usos and solo sokoa coming down to the ring the usos would address what they did to kevin owens last week on smackdown they tell kevin owens that the beatdown that he received on smackdown was because that's what happens when you mess with the tribal chief and that will continue to happen until he basically off the island of relevancy the Usos would then shift over to next week on Raw, which is the 30th anniversary. They mentioned that Roman Reigns will have a big coronation ceremony to be held at the head of the table and that every member of the bloodline, every member of the generation of the past bloodline will be there to coronate Roman Reigns, which means you'll probably see Afa and Sika, you'll probably see the Usos, you'll probably see Tamina, you'll probably see hopefully Jacob Fatu and some other uh Samoan wrestlers that are part of independent shows probably be there too. That'll be great. And you'll probably see Rikishi, but this is where they're probably going to lay the foundation blocks for The Rock and Roman Reigns probably next week. I don't think The Rock's going to be there. I think there's going to be a slight there, but only time will tell. We'll see how that works. Anyway, the Usos will also talk about how they will be defending the Raw Tag Team Championships next week against the Judgment Day and that they're going to beat the Judgment Day and still be Raw Tag Team Champions. That's when the Judgment Day comes out and state their claims that they run Raw. They are going to be the ones to take the Raw Tag Team Championships away from the Usos, and they will permanently be on Raw instead of being back and forth between Raw and SmackDown. Dom will start running his mouth to the point that he calls out Solo Sokoa. Solo will step to Dom and get in his face, but Rhea will move Dom to the side and get in Solo's face. Dom will sucker punch Solo, and now a brawl will ensue with both groups. As the Usos and Finn and Priest are battling on the outside of the ring, Solo Sokoa would take Dominic out, and again, Rhea would step up to Solo, and Solo would just have to back up, and it looks like he's about to do something, but out of nowhere, Mustafa Ali would appear, and he would jump off the top turnbuckle onto Solo Sokoa. They are supposed to have a match, and the match gets started right then and there. So, Solo versus Ali happens. Solo would win the match by pinfall, when Ali would be going for the 450 splash, but Solo would move out of the way. Ali will land on his feet. He will run towards Solo. Solo will grab Ali by the throat and then hit him with a small spike for the win. Now, after the match, Kevin Owens will get in the ring and hit Solo Sokoa with a stunner, then proceed to beat him up. Kevin Owens will then put Solo Sokoa on the commentary table and looks to basically splash on Solo the same way that Solo did to him on SmackDown. But before he could do that, the Usos would run over to Kevin Owens and get into it with him. Kevin Owens would start getting chairs and he would start throwing it at the Usos to make the Usos retreat with Solo Sokoa. And then doing the process, you will see producers coming from the crowd to stop Kevin Owens from running after the Usos and Solo Sokoa. So this is still building for Kevin Owens having this beef with the bloodline on Raw. So this is going to probably continue into SmackDown. Now, after this, we have the Street Profits going against Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. The Street Profits would win that match by pinfall when Cedric would pin Dawkins, but Dawkins would kick out at two, and Dawkins would grab Cedric and pin him, and he would get the win. Now, interesting note of this, MVP would come down to the ring towards the end of the match. He would try to help out Cedric and Shelton, but it still was to no avail. 
So this is still trying to build back up the Hurt business. They've been already trying to allude to this for several weeks, and it looks like it's coming into fruition. But for me personally, here's just me as a fan here. Cedric and Shelton didn't get the job done against the Street Profits here. It would be a nice wrinkling in the factors if MVP can get the Street Profits into the Hurt business. I'm still not mad if Shelton and Cedric are still part of it. But just to add a nice little wrinkle, if Street Profits were in the Hurt business, that would be great. But we shall see in the upcoming weeks if that even happens. Now, after this, we will have Becky Lynch coming out to the ring, and she will call out Bailey. Bailey will come out with damage control. And we will finally get to the root of the issue between Bailey and Becky Lynch. And it harbors from Bailey having resentment towards Becky for taking her spot in 2015 when Becky came up to the main roster with Sasha Banks and Charlotte and Bailey was left down in NXT. Becky will tell Bailey that she was left back in NXT because Bailey wanted to be a leader and lead a charge of women in NXT. Or at least that's what Bailey said back then. So Becky would ask Bailey, was she being a hypocrite? Was she lying? Or was she telling the truth? Bailey would say, yeah, I wanted to lead a group of women down there. But I don't like how you got up to the top and you got to just take my spot. Becky would say, yeah, I went to the top, but I was only supposed to be the other woman. I was supposed to be the person not noticed, not being getting any eyes on me. But that all changed when I made myself the man. Becky would then tell Bailey that the only thing that she has done since going to the main roster is whine and complain and basically failed. So in the end, Becky would challenge Bailey to a match next week on Raw. Bailey would accept. Becky would then ask her, do you accept to a steel cage match? Bailey would hesitate, but in the end, she would accept. So next week on the 30th anniversary on Raw, we'll have Becky Lynch going against Bailey inside of a steel cage match. Now, after this, we will have Elias going against Omos with MVP in his corner. Omos would win the match by pinfall when Omos would grab Elias, who's on the top turnbuckle, and hit him with a double-handed chokeslam for the win. Now, after this, we have Alpha Academy going against Judgment Day's Dominic Mysterio and Damian Priest with Rhea Ripley and Finn Balor in their corner. Judgment Day would win the match by pinfall when Gable would have Dominic in an ankle lock and Priest would come in the ring and hit Gable with a South of Heaven chokeslam and Dom would cover Gable for the win giving Judgment Day some momentum going into their Raw Tag Team Championship match next week. Now, after this, we had Io Sky with Dakota Kai in her corner going against Mi Chin Mia Yim with Candice LeRae in her corner. Mia Yim would win the match by pinfall when Mia would hit eat defeat on Io for the win. After the match, Dakota Kai would come in the ring and attack Mia Yim, but Candice LeRae would get in the ring, attack Dakota, and damage control would retreat. Now, after this, we have Bianca Belair coming down to the ring. Bianca talks about missing Raw last week because of what Alexa Bliss did to her two weeks ago in their championship match. Bianca would call Alexa out to the ring because of Alexa talking all the trash that she did last week. Alexa would make her way down to the ramp and stop before Alexa could get a whole full sentence out of her mouth. Bianca gives Alexa the option to face her at the Royal Rumble for the Raw Women's Championship. Alexa would accept, and Bianca would leave the ring to meet Alexa at the ramp, and now both women start to brawl. Bianca would get the advantage of it because she's stronger and faster than Alexa. The fighting would lead to them going into the crowd. Bianca would set up two chairs, grab Alexa, and have her in position to hit her with the KOD. But before Bianca could hit it, she would look out and just stare at a figure standing in the midst of smoke, and it looks like the Uncle Howdy figure. Alexa would get off Bianca's shoulder and then hit her with a DDT on the ground. And then Alexa will look at the Uncle Howdy figure and he would just basically give her a nod. 
And that's it. So it seems that Alexa is working with this Uncle Howdy figure, or she's at least giving into this Bray Wyatt stuff again. We still don't know who Uncle Howdy is. People are floating uh, situations of who it could be. I'm just waiting to see exactly who it is. So Alexa, Uncle Howdy, Bray Wyatt. Okay, cool. I just want to see where we're leading with this. Now, after this, we had Akira Tozawa going against Bronson Reed. Bronson Reed would win the match by pinfall by hitting the tsunami onto Tozawa for the win. Solid match for Bronson, solid match for Akira Tozawa, but we all knew what was going to happen once Bronson came out there. We all knew who was winning. Now it's time for the main event, six-way elimination match, where the winner will face Austin Theory next week for the United States Championship. We have Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, and Bobby Lashley. The first person will get eliminated would be The Miz, first by Seth Rollins when he would get hit with a curb stomp. The next person to be eliminated was Dolph Ziggler, again by Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins would hit Dolph with a pedigree, then pin him. Finn would be next, again by Seth because of a curb stomp. Corbin would be next, but by Bobby because of a spear. And to cap it off, Seth would be eliminated by Bobby Lashley because of a spear and also because of interference from Omaz and MVP. Omaz and MVP came down to the ring towards the end of the match. And again, we're starting to see the buildup of her business. Bobby was not expecting Omos or MVP down there. So Bobby still isn't like jiving with MVP that much. He respects that MVP got him out of his whole uh, bind with WWE management. But MVP wants to try to rebuild the Hurt business back up. And I can see towards sooner rather than later, the Hurt business all coming together with Bobby, Omos, MVP. If they still want to go with Shelton, Benjamin, and Cedric, that's cool. But for me, I think just to add another wrinkle, again, I would think the Street Profits would be beneficial in this situation. But to have the original Hurt Business all come together as one, it still wouldn't be a bad look. So either way they want to go with it, I'm cool with that. But in the end, Bobby Lashley will be facing Austin Theory next week for the United States Championship. And that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to NXT. NXT will open up with a tag team match. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams going against Axiom and Apollo Crews. Apollo and Axiom would win the match by pinfall when Apollo would catch Melo jumping off the top turnbuckle and Apollo would go for a one-handed spine buster, but Melo would reverse it into a roll-up pin, but Apollo would sit down on Melo and the referee would count the pin. So Axiom and Apollo has one up on Melo and Trick. After this, Toxic Attraction will come down to the ring and they would talk about them winning the Battle Royal last week. They mocked the fans for thinking that they were going to break up last week when both Gigi and JC were going against one another. And in that mockery, they will look at each other with side eyes. So you can tell there's still some cracks in that foundation with Gigi and JC here. However, they would come back and talk about Vengeance Day, and they say they're going to make Roxanne rue the day that she became NXT Women's Champion. That's when Lyra Valkyria will come down, and she will say that she's tired of hearing them talk. Lyra will come to the ring. She would get beat down by a Toxic Attraction until Roxanne Perez would run down to the ring and make the save with Toxic leaving the ring. It was then announced that in the main event, Roxanne and Lyra Valkyria will go against Toxic Attraction. Now, after this, we will have Alba Fire going against Sol Ruka. Sol would win the match by pinfall thanks to Alba Fire not paying attention. When Alba had the match in her hands, Alba would see Isla Dawn standing on the NXT perch, and this would allow Soul to hit Soul Snatcher on Alba Fire for the win. Now, later in the night, we would see Alba Fire backstage. She has her bat um, up to the neck of the referee who made the count, and you would see Caden Carter and Katana Chance walk up on Alba and tell her to relax and chill. 
Alba would take offense to this, and she would challenge them both to an NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match next week. And somehow it gets made official, but Alba fires her only person. Alba Fire didn't say she was going to get her partner or anything, so it just seems to be a handicap match. I can see Ala Don probably coming down there to beat Alba Fire's tag partner, and that's going to be a weird situation. But I'm all up for weird business when it comes down to NXT, because NXT is just the experimental uh, platform, and let's see what can be done down there. That's all I care about, and we're going to see what happens next week. After this, we'll have Gallus going against Briggs and Jensen with Fallon Henley in their corner. Gallus would win the match by pinfall when they took out Jensen earlier in the match by slamming him onto concrete outside of the ring. So this took Jensen out of the match, and this will lead to Gallus hitting Briggs with an Insiguri power slam combo for the win. Now, after this, we will see Valentina Flores going against Thea Hale with Andre Chase and Duke Hudson in her corner. Thea would win the match by pinfall using a headlock driver for the win. Electra Lopez did come down to the ring and she did hand Valentina some brass knuckles to use, but Valentina decided not to use them. So we're starting to see probably Electra Lopez probably want to try to mentor Valentina Perez into the way of basically thinking and doing for herself. Only time will tell as this goes upon NXT. Now, after this, we have the New Day coming out to the ring and they talk about being done with Pretty Deadly and facing Gallus at Vengeance Day, but Pretty Deadly will come out and deny that nonsense. They will talk about how they have had to jump through hoops to get at those tag team titles and that Gallus aren't the number one contenders they are. Gallus will come out and tell Pretty Deadly that they are wrong and that they lost last week in the gauntlet match, which makes them the number one contenders and that nobody else is going to be tag team champions except them. So now you have Gallus stepping up to New Day. You see New Day and Gallus having to face off with one another. Pretty Deadly would sucker punch um, Gallus and New Day and then the brawl would ensue. New Day and Gallus would throw Pretty Deadly out of the ring, and then both of these two would fight, until refs and producers would come down to break up the fight with everyone. And then it was announced that at Vengeance Day, it would be a triple threat match for the NXT Tag Team Championships, Pretty Deadly going against Gallus, going against the New Day. Now, after this, we had Tyler Bate going against Javier Bernal. Tyler Bate would win the match by pinfall when you would hit the Tyler Driver 98 for the win. Then we're off to the main event. Toxic Attraction going against Lyra Valkyria and the NXT Women's Champion, Roxanne Perez. Roxanne and Lyra will get the win by pinfall when Toxic will go for their high-low combo kick onto Roxanne, but JC would accidentally kick Gigi in the face. This would allow Roxanne to hit JC with a Russian leg sweep and finish Gigi off with Pop Rocks for the win. Now, after the match, you will see Gigi and JC arguing in the middle of the ring as Roxanne just looks at them on the ramp holding up the NXT Women's Championship, and if Toxic Attraction still continues to argue leading up to Vengeance Day, it's not going to be good for them, and Roxanne Perez will more than likely leave Vengeance Day with the NXT Women's Championship, and that's what that whole last picture basically uh, told everyone. So we'll have to see as NXT goes on next week, leading into Vengeance Day. But with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get into AEW, I will be remiss to not mention that NXT was the first um, wrestling program that did break the news of Jay Briscoe's passing in the middle of their program. They would mention the passing of Jay Briscoe, and that was a highly classy move of WWE because Briscoes were never ever a part of their organization. But they knew that the name Jay Briscoe, the Briscoe brothers, was an important 
um, members of the WWE, not just WWE, but the wrestling whole as a whole. So they were the first promotion to break the news, and I do want to give WWE props for that. Now, this would go into AEW Dynamite, and Dynamite would open up with a photo to show tribute of Jay Briscoe, and the tributes would continue throughout the rest of the show. You would see wrestlers that had a personal connection to Jay Briscoe wearing Jay armbands that said the name Jay or the word Briscoe on it. And throughout the rest of the program, they would make mention of Jay Briscoe, which would lead into the first match um, for the All-Atlantic Championship match. It will be Orange Cassidy going against Jay Lethal. Jeff Jarrett, Sanjay Dutt, Satnam Singh, and the best friends were around, well, not ringside, they were around like the barricade, the opposite end where the fans were, because by Tony Khan, if Jeff Jarrett, Sanjay Singh, or Sanjay were to get anywhere close or even interfere in this match, Sanjay Dutt will lose his job. So Sanjay had to play a uh, ref for Jeff Jarrett and Sanjay Singh to make sure they did not interfere in this match for Jay Lethal. But in the end, Orange Cassidy would win the match by pitfall by hitting the orange punch on Jay Lethal for the win. Now, after this, we had Top Flight going against the Young Bucks. Um, Top Flight would win the match by pinfall when the Bucks would go for the BTE trigger on Darius Martin, but he would duck and the Bucks' knees would collide with each other. Darius would then get Matt Jackson in a roll-up and he would win. This was a big surprise to the AEW audience. You saw multiple camera shots of the just the audience just being in a surprise. To me, this reminded me of, again, Private Party beating the Young Bucks in the AEW Tag Team Tournament for the Tag Team Titles when the AEW first began in 2019. Everybody was shocked by that, and I think this is just on the same trajectory with uh, Private Party. Well, not Private Party, with Top Flight. Top Flight is going to be on the rise. Again, AEW, Tony Khan has put some uh, eggs in the Dante Martin basket, and he's put eggs into the Top Flight basket, and I've already said Top Flight is going to be one of the top tag teams of AEW in 2023. I think that beating the Young Bucks is the right step on that path for them to have a great 2023. Now, after this, the guns will come out and they talk about how they feel embarrassed after the clan pushed their backsides into concrete last week on Rampage. They say they made the acclaim popular. They made them champions, even gave them their dad. Now, the acclaim will come out and the guns would immediately tell production to cut the acclaim's music. Max Caster would tell production to cut the guns mic, turn their music back on so he could freestyle. Max Castle would do his freestyle after the freestyle. The Acclaim would get in the ring with the guns. Now a fight will happen. Billy Gunn will come down to the ring and separate both teams. Billy would get a mic and tell the guns to quit acting like entitled spoiled kids. And he would tell the Acclaim that since they are champions, they need to start acting like it. Billy would say that next week, all of them are going to have a sit down and hash things out. So again, we're in the program of the guns going against the Acclaim. And again, I still see the Guns proudly winning this because the Guns winning against the Acclaim, it would be right and it would be fitting because this whole thing started with the Guns and the Acclaim and that's the reason how the Acclaim technically started getting on the rise up with everybody loving the whole scissor me daddy ass thing with Billy when they got with the Guns. So it only would be fitting for the Guns to dethrone the Acclaim. That's only if that's the way they want to plan this stuff out. For me, I would do it, but time will tell. After this, we had Jake Hager with 2.0 going against Ricky Starks. Chris Jericho was on commentary for this. Ricky would get the win by pinfall when he would hit Jake Hager with a spear. After the match, the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society would come down to the ring, but Ricky would escape through the crowd, and it was announced later in the night 
that next week on Dynamite, it will be Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara going against Ricky Starks and Action Andretti. Now, through this situation, Daniel Garcia would step up to Chris and say, listen, I want to be your tag partner to go against Ricky in Action Andretti next week. Sammy would overhear this and he would tell Daniel Garcia that, you know what, you can have my spot. You have my spot if you beat Action Andretti on Rampage. So the match would be set. Daniel Garcia going against Action Andretti for Rampage. Now, after this, we have Brian Danielson going against Bandito. This is still Brian Danielson's journey for him to win all of his matches up to February 8th. And if he does so, he would get MJF at Revolution in an Ironman match. Brian Danielson would win the match by pinfall when Brian would hit Bandito with a Paseco knee for the win. And I'm telling you guys right now, if you have never seen Bandito, wrestled before go watch this match for brian danielson brian and bandito had a great match brian gave bandito a great showing i already know that he had a great showing with roosh on i believe rampage or dynamite a couple weeks ago or not weeks ago a month ago but this match with brian bandito really showed out you got to see him really like show off his strength you got to see him put in uh maneuvers as in Submission maneuvers on Brian. You got to see that he was having a never give up type attitude, and the fans in AEW really love Bandito. So you can see Bandito as a all star type of player in AEW if they continue on this momentum that they have for Bandito. That's the only thing that I hope that they would still ride out. But if you need to see the match, and I really do hope you do, go watch it. Watch Brian versus Bandito. Now, after the match, a video will play of MGF. And MJF would tell Brian that the version of MJF that he has been dealing with has been wearing a mask and that Brian doesn't want to deal with the monster behind said mask. But as time gets closer towards revolution, he will start to see the monster behind the mask. It was announced that Brian Danson will be going against Brian Cage next week. And then we will see Brian Cage backstage with Prince Nana when MJF will walk up to them. He pulls out an envelope full of cash and he tells Brian Cage that he doesn't care if he wins or lose against Brian Danielson next week. He just needs him to break Brian Danielson's arm. And he asks Brian Cage, can he do that? Cage says that he can do it. That's when MGF would just slap Brian Cage in the face, and Cage would quickly grab MGF by his neck. MGF would tell him, do you want the money or not? Now, now we have the cool Cage down say it's all about the money, and Cage would let go of MGF. MGF would tell Cage that the anger that you feel right now, use it. Use it against Brian Danielson next week. So MGF just gave Brian Cage a lot of motivation to basically try to break the arm of Brian Danielson. And next week, we'll have to see if that comes to action. Now, after this, we have Willow Nightingale going against Tony Storm with Soraya. The funny thing about this match is that we get a backstage video of Soraya talking to Hukaru Shida backstage with Tony Storm. And Soraya is just upset at Hukaru Shida for basically interfering in their tag match last week and basically costing them. Tony will have to come uh Soraya down and you will see both Soraya and Tony Storm talk like they're above the homegrown talent of AEW of the women's division and Hikaru Shida took offense to that because she is homegrown talent of AEW so when she heard them talking she just had her eyes rolling and just look them into the air and this will kind of play into this match technically after it because Tony Storm would win the match by pinfall thanks to Soraya getting on the ring apron and distracting the referee when Willow pinned Tony Storm. Willow would get up and get in the face of Soraya. That's when Tony would get up and grab Willow and get her in a schoolboy pin and grab her tights for extra leverage for the win. 
After the match, Willow would get up and try to tell the referee about Tony grabbing her tights, but Soraya would get in the ring and attack her. Tony would join Soraya on the beatdown until Ruby Soho would come down to the ring and scare off both Tony and Soraya. So the narrative that Britt Baker was telling all this time about how Soraya and Tony Storm are coming to AEW, women that have basically made their living outside of AEW, are coming here and they're believing that they are better than the homegrown talent of AEW. And at first, Soraya wasn't really that person. She came here trying to better the company. She was trying to be like the good guy, good girl for the women's division, all this type of stuff. And now it seems like, no, we're just going to flip it. Soraya feels that like she's better than homegrown talent here in AEW. Her and Tony Storm both feel that like they're better than the homegrown talent here in AEW. It's just weird now how they just decided, like, you know what? We're going to go into that narrative instead of playing off the fact that, no, Tony Storm and Soraya are the good guys in this, and Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter are the bad guys. I understand that they want to ride the momentum of Jamie Hayter as the crowd loves her and all this type of stuff. You guys still can do that with them still being the bad guys here. The fans are going to cheer who they're going to cheer. That's just what it is. But you got to keep some type of symbol for what it is. You guys still can do your whole Triple H and Batista stuff since you guys failed with that with MJF and Warlow with Jamie Hayter being the world champion, the Batista to uh, Britt Baker's Triple H here with Britt Baker turning on Jamie Hayter because you know what's going to happen. She's going to turn on her. We're all just waiting for that day to happen for everybody to see Jamie Hayter by herself and Britt Baker trying to take the title away from Jamie because we know Britt Baker is not a second fiddle type of character. She wants to be in the spotlight, in the light. So they could have still went with that and just have Jamie just beat Soraya and Tony Storm and still her get cheered by the fans because the fans love her. But it went with the narrative of, nope, we're going to change Soraya and... Tony to make them be hated because you know what? They feel like they're better than everybody here. I don't understand it, but hey, that's the route they want to go. And I'm only here for the ride. Let's see if it actually pays off in the end. But I will say this. I do like Tony as a bad guy because you know what? She showed character. She showed panache when she did uh, beat Willow and actually did join Soraya on the beatdown. So they might already be working a little bit in their favor with Tony Storm. But I just want to see how this whole thing plays out in the end. After this, we go to the main event, the TNT Championship match. Kushida going against Darby Allen. Darby would win the match by pinfall when Darby was able to counter out of the hoverboard lock and turn it into the last supper pin for the win. Kushida versus Darby Allen, good match. Kushida was beating up on Darby a lot. Darby basically squeaked out a win by luck by countering out of the hoverboard lock. But that's to be expected because I did not think Darby Allen was going to lose the TNT Championship to Kushida. Um, after the match, they shook hands and Kushida threw up the one more finger for like a one more rematch, but Darby just straight up just dead eyed him right in the eye. So I don't think that match is going to happen, but if it does, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to enjoy it the same way that I enjoyed this match. But with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. They had Hard to Kill last Friday and I'm going to read you off the results for that pay-per-view. Josh Alexander going against Bully Ray in full metal mayhem for the Impact World Championship. Josh Alexander defeated Bully Ray by submission when he locked him into the submission uh, hold of the ankle lock. The Fatal 4-Way Elimination Tag Match for the Impact World Tag Team Championships. The Motor City Machine Guns did defeat Heath Slater and Rhino. Bullet Clubs, Ace Austin and Chris Bay. And the major players, Brian Myers and Matt Cardona to retain their Impact World Tag Team Championships. 
For the Digital Media Championship, Joe Henry, the champion, going against the Moose. Joe Henry would win the match by pinfall after it did get restarted because originally Moose did win the match, but he kicked Joe Henry in the nuts when the referee wasn't looking. And once he did that and he pinned him, the new director of authority, since Scott DeMore got took out by Bully Ray, Santino Morello would come out. He says that he doesn't like cheaters, so he will restart the match, and Joe Henry would win the match. After this, we had a fatal four-way match to determine the number one contender for the Impact Knockouts World Championship. Masha Slamovich would win that, while the other competitors in the match were Deanna Perrazzo, Killer Kelly, and Taylor Wilde. After that, then it was a false count anywhere match. Steve Macklin going against Rich Swan. Steve Macklin will win that. Singles match, Eddie Edwards going against Jonathan Gresham. Eddie Edwards will win the match by pinfall. After the match, PCO would appear and he would beat up on Eddie Edwards. Now it's time for the main event, career versus championship. Jordan Grace putting up the knockouts championship against Mickey James' career. Mickey James would defeat Jordan Grace by pinfall. And Mickey James is your new knockouts women's champion. Now, it was announced next week on Impact Wrestling, it will be Mike Jackson going against Trey Miguel for the Exhibition Championship, Ace Austin and Chris Bay going against the major players because the major players cost Ace Austin and Chris Bay in the Tag Team Championship matchup at Hard to Kill. Giselle Shaw and her mystery partner will be going against the Death Dolls for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships and a six-way match where the winner will be facing Josh Alexander for the Impact World Championship at No Surrender. The competitors for that matchup is Chris Sabin, Moose, Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan, Rich Swan, and Rhino. Now, to start off Impact Wrestling, they would as well open up with a tribute shot of Jay Briscoe, and they will wish condolences to his family. Now, after this, Mickey James would come down to the ring. Mickey would say that she's proud to be Impact Knockouts Champion. That's when Bully Ray would come down. Bully Ray would come in the ring, look at Mickey James, have a mic in his hand, and just directly point to the back, indicating that he wants Mickey to go to the back. Mickey would tell Bully she isn't going to the back. Bully would tell her that she needs to go to the back because she wasn't the main event for Hard to Kill, which she was, and he would say that he was. He talks about how he made Impact and Josh Alexander relevant because four months ago before he got here, nobody was talking about Impact, but now since he's here... It's been talked about, and it's all because of him. Bully would again tell Mickey that this is his last time telling her to leave. Mickey would then get in Bully's face and tell him that she has respect for what he's done in this business. But ever since Bully has stepped foot back into Impact, the real Bully has shown himself as a politicker and a big whiner and complainer when he doesn't get what he wants. And if he wants her to go into the back, he has to move her. Then Tasha Stills and Savannah Evans would come down to the ring. Tasha would say that she is here to get a front row seat of bully moving Mickey James. Tasha would then insist that she isn't going to wait in line to get a shot at the knockouts championship and that she is going to get back what is rightfully hers. Then you'll see Tasha Stills and Savannah Evans attack Mickey and bully will leave the ring to get a table. But Jordan Grace and Kazari run down to the ring and that's when Santina Morella will come down to the ring, and so would Ernest the Cat Miller. Ernest would tell Santina that you need to make a six-person tag match in which that gets made official, so we have that match. We will have Tasha Stills, Savannah Evans, and Bully Ray going against the team of Jordan Grace, Mickey James, and Kazarian. Mickey would win the match for her team by pinfall by hitting a senton from the top turnbuckle onto Tasha Stills for the win. After the match, 
Masha Slamovich will come down to the ring and hand Mickey James her death warrant, which is Masha will come down to the ring. She would hand her victim their own 8x10 with a big old X on it to indicate that Masha's there to take them out. So she did this for Mickey James. Mickey would shove that 8x10 back in Masha's face, and then you see Masha and Mickey get face to face. So this is building a momentum for their eventual knockouts championship match. After this, you will have Deanna Peraza going against Ashley Dubois. Deanna Peraza would win the match by pinfall by hitting a powerbomb followed by the Queen's Gambit for the win. After this, we will have Taylor Wilde going against Killer Kelly. Killer Kelly would win the match by submission when she locks in the Killer Clutch on Taylor Wilde for the win. After that, you will have Steve Macklin going against Dirty Dango, or formerly known as Fandango in WWE. Steve Macklin would win the match by pinfall when you hit the KIA for the win, which is a double underhook DDT. And again, we're still on the whole thing of Steve Macklin feeling disrespected for not getting an Impact World Championship opportunity. So we're still on that whole story of Macklin just basically trying to run over everybody until he gets his Impact World Championship opportunity. After this, we go to the main event, which is the pit fight with Kenny King going against Speedball Mike Bailey. The pit fight is when you take the ropes off the ring, the mat gets turned into black, and it's just basically a no holds barred, no disqualification, just slug out, drag out, brawl between both men. The only way you can win this is by submission or knockout. Mike Bailey would win the match by knockout when Bailey would pummel Kenny King to the ground, and the referee would pull Bailey off of King. Bailey would then place a chair on the Kenny King's head, then stomp on it. The referee would then call for the bell, citing a knockout, giving the win to Mike Bailey. Now, this match was basically all about Kenny King trying to get the ruthlessness and aggression out of Mike Bailey instead of Mike Bailey always being that cool, collected competitor that he's always been. So Kenny King got his wish, but ultimately he paid the price for it because he got his head stomped in in the process. So you would say that Kenny King won morally as in storyline-wise, but for the match itself, Mike Bailey won that. So we're going to have to see how Mike Bailey deals with this next week on Impact or if they will like follow up on it, but I believe they will. Also, go check out the match. I would think you would want to go check it out. Mike Bailey versus Kenny King. This is more than likely going to launch Mike Bailey to the Impact uh, main event status next. So if you want to see Mike Bailey and what he's about, just check this out. And with that, that is your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the Bloodline entering the arena. You will see two black SUVs. The Bloodline comes out. Sami Zayn does his handshakes with the Usos, and he tries to give a fist pound to Roman Reigns. And Roman just looks at Sami, and he just walks into the building. And this will continue throughout the rest of the night because we will get backstage segments of Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman in his locker room as he gets himself mentally prepared so he can get that contract signing with Kevin Owens later in the main event of the show. Now, there will be segments where Sammy would walk in to check on Roman Reigns to make sure their relationship is cool, and he would question Roman about what happened last week. Sammy feels that he might be getting used a little bit. He does make reference to that, how Kevin Owens told him that the bloodline is using him, and Roman would just start snapping on Sammy, saying, listen, you probably do need to leave. You probably do need to find your own tribe, find your old bloodline. Go out and go back with Kevin Owens. Just get out of here. Get out of my face. So Sammy will look dejected as he leaves the room. And you will see another segment later, Paul Heyman talking to Roman. And he tells Roman that, listen, I don't like Sami Zayn. I never liked him since the beginning. But maybe it's better for him to be pissing 
outside of the kingdom instead of being outside of the kingdom and pissing onto the kingdom. Meaning, it's better to have Sami Zayn on our side than for him to be against us. So later in the night, you will see Roman Reigns tell Paul to go find Sammy. Sammy would get tracked back to Roman Reigns' locker room, and Roman and Sammy would hash things out. Roman would say, listen, I understand you just wanted some communication, and fine, let me give you some. Roman would tell Sammy that he needs to have the SUVs at the entrance of the arena, have the airplane, the private jet, fueled up, and have the Usos ready for whenever they leave because Roman Reigns is going to take Solo and Paul Heyman down to the contract signing. So that's the segment for it. Paul Heyman, Roman, and Sami Zayn until the end of the show. Now, the first match we'll have will be SmackDown Tag Team Tournament. First round match of Drew McIntyre and Sheamus going against the Viking Raiders with Valhalla in their corner. Sheamus and Drew McIntyre would win that match by pinfall when Drew would hit Eric with the Claymore and Sheamus would hit the Bro Kick on Ivar for the win. So Sheamus and Drew advance into the second round of the tournament. After this, we have LA Knight come down to the ring and he's dressed to compete. LA would get a mic and talk about how Bray Wyatt needs help because one moment he says he isn't Uncle Howdy and the next moment he says he is. Knight would talk about their upcoming match at the Royal Rumble and how he's going to defeat Bray Wyatt. And after talking, Knight will have a match with a local guy. There will be moments in the match where the lights would flicker and they will show a symbol of Bray Wyatt's logo on the Titantron, but Knight would win the match by pinfall by hitting the BFT for the win. After the match, the Firefly Funhouse would appear on the screen. Bray Wyatt is back to his old Mr. Rogers gear and get up as he's around with his puppets and such. And you just see Bray talking to the puppets, and he mentions that L.A. Knight should be afraid of the dark, and he's making reference to their pitch black match at the Royal Rumble. And once he says this, he winks to the camera, and this will play a video of Uncle Howdy saying, I told you so. All you needed was a little push. Bray will look into the camera and say that you guys let the door in, and now you have to deal with whatever happens next. So Bray is, again, it seems to me that we're mixing all the caricatures of Bray's former characters together. Last week, we had the Eater of Worlds, Bray Wyatt, with the whole rocking chair and even his whole spooky vanishing act after the fact. And this week, we get Mr. Rogers' uh, Firefly Funhouse out of Bray Wyatt. So it seems that we're getting every level of Bray. So next week, it will be the final SmackDown of... Well, until the Royal Rumble. And I just want to know, are we going to get one more new variation of Bray Wyatt to show up on that SmackDown? Or are we going to get the new ist variation of Bray Wyatt at the Royal Rumble? Only time will tell and we'll have to see what happens next week. Now, after this, we get another first round matchup of the SmackDown Tag Team Tournament of Hit Row going against Los Lotharios. Hit Row would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from B-Fab. When she would grab the leg of Humberto, and this would allow Ashanti the Adonis to roll up Humberto for the win. So Hit Row will be facing Drew McIntyre and Sheamus next week in the second round of the tag team tournament. Now after this, Charlotte Flair will come down to the ring. Charlotte will talk about how Sonya Deville has been having a problem with her because Charlotte beat her two weeks ago in a SmackDown Women's Championship matchup. Charlotte will call Sonya Deville down to the ring, and Sonya will come down. Sonya would tell Charlotte that she wants another championship opportunity and that she deserves it because she's a star. Charlotte would say that Sonya 
is entitled and questions Sonia, what makes her better than the rest of the women in the back. Charlotte would, however, issue Sonia a challenge to a fight right now, and Sonia would decline because there was nothing in it for her. However, Sonia would say that she would agree to it if Charlotte put the championship up on the line. Adam Pierce would come out and he says, I know what you're trying to do, Sonia. Enough with this. Enough with trying to get a championship matchup. So Sonia would forearm Charlotte in the face when Charlotte wasn't looking. Then Sonia would quickly leave the ring. And it seems to me, again, we're going to get Charlotte versus Sonya Deville more than likely at the Royal Rumble as we're already getting Bianca Belair going against Alexa Bliss at the Royal Rumble as well. So I wouldn't be shocked if we're getting that. So they got one more SmackDown to announce it. So probably look forward to that next week. After this, we get another first-round matchup for the SmackDown Tag Team Tournament. Brawling Brutes going against Imperium. Imperium would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Imperium Bomb, which is a powerbomb uppercut combo on Rich Holland for the win. Now, after this, we would get the last of the first round of the SmackDown Tag Team Tournament matches. We got our Del Fantasmas, Joaquin Wilde, and Del Toro Cruz going against Maximum Male Models, Mansoor, or Masay, and Maswa. Legato de Fantasma would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Russian leg sweep Insiguri combo on Mansua for the win. So Legato will be facing Imperium next week in the second round of the SmackDown Tag Team Tournament. Now after this, we get to the main objective of the night, the contract signing between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns will come out with Solo and Paul Heyman, and he will put his feet on the table as he waits for Kevin Owens to come out. But... Kevin Owens doesn't come out through the entrance. Oh, no. He sneak attacks Roman by coming through the crowd, grabbing Solo, dragging him out of the ring, and then getting in the ring and beating up on Roman and hitting him with a stunner. You will see Kevin Owens continue to beat up on Roman, and then you go outside of the ring to beat up on Solo. The Usos would run down to the ring to try to help out Solo and Roman, but they would get beat up on by Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens would then get back in the ring, and he would hit up a pop-up powerbomb on Roman Reigns through the table. Then go over to Paul Heyman as Paul is cowering in the corner of the ring and he will grab the contract away from Paul and sign the contract. Sami Zayn will be the last person to run down to the ring and he's kind of already too late when he does so and he would stand on the ring apron looking at Kevin Owens pissed off and Kevin Owens will look at Sami Zayn and he will hit Sami with a smirk then throw the contract at Sami and Kevin Owens would leave the ring and go through the crowd again. Now, the Usos and Solo will get in the ring. The Usos are looking at Roman Reigns and trying to make sure he's all right. And then they will look at Sammy. Paul will look at Sammy. Solo will look at Sammy. And Roman is just trying to get himself together. As SmackDown will go off. And Sammy just stands there looking at Roman in just complete disbelief. Because now that trust that he has gotten from the Tribal Chief more than likely probably will be more and more disintegrated as the weeks goes on. Especially with next week being the final week of SmackDown before the Royal Rumble, and Roman Reigns has a big match with Kevin Owens at the Royal Rumble. It's all going to be interesting to see how they maneuver with this next week on SmackDown. More than likely, Roman's going to get pissed off with Sammy, and more than likely, he might Superman punch Sammy, which would probably lead into some doubts going into the Royal Rumble with Sammy, more than likely, entering the Rumble and Solo entering the Rumble, but I have my ideas on that next week when I will talk about it, but that's just my idea there. Well, with that, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Oh, yes. Before I get away and go off to the AEW Rampage, um, on SmackDown, they did mention the passing of Jay Briscoe again. So, WWE did honor Jay Briscoe on NXT 
and SmackDown, and also wrestlers on SmackDown that knew Jay Briscoe, they would wear like the Jay Briscoe arm bands to show their support and love to the family. So I do want to make note of that. Now, off to AEW Rampage. First match of the night that we have is Ethan Page with Isaiah Cassidy, Matt Hardy, and Stokely Hathaway in his corner going against Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy would win the match by pinfall when Ethan had Jungle Boy in the pin maneuver and Ethan would grab a hold of Matt Hardy's hair and Matt doesn't know that it's Ethan doing this and Matt would swipe at Ethan's hands making Ethan Page lose his position and Jungle Boy would reverse the pin into his own for the win. After the match, Stokely Hathaway would get in the ring and blame Matt Hardy for Ethan losing. Ethan would agree with Stokely and Matt would plead with Ethan saying that he didn't know it was Ethan. He thought it was Jungle Boy grabbing at his hair. So Ethan Page would look at Matt and say, you want to make it up to me? Matt would say, sure. So Ethan Page would throw out the challenge to Jungle Boy and Hook for a tag team match on AEW Dynamite. And Ethan Page's partner would be Matt Hardy. Jungle Boy would agree. Hook would be on the entrance stage, and he would agree. So apparently that match has been set for Dynamite. Now, after this, we would have Ortiz coming down to the ring so he could talk to Tony Schiavone about Eddie Kingston. Ortiz would say that Eddie has succumbed to the mind games that the House of Black has been playing on him, and Ortiz would call Eddie Kingston down to the ring. Eddie Kingston would come down to the ring, and he would be carrying a steel chair with him. Ortiz would get at Eddie for almost hitting a woman last week, and he's talking about Julia Hart, and Eddie would tell Ortiz that they could talk in the back instead of doing this in front of the people. Ortiz would continue to talk and say that this isn't how your mother and father raised you, and this would get Eddie a little bit irate here. Ortiz would say that Homicide, their trainer, will call Eddie a fake tough guy and a coward if he saw Eddie right now. Eddie would hit Ortiz in the stomach with a chair and then hit him in the back with a chair and then leave the ring and walk to the back. So it seems to me that this friendship that Eddie Kingston and Ortiz has at least is on a big strain right now thanks to the house of black and more than likely it's probably going to sever unless probably santana comes back and probably like fix this so my whole idea of santana being the guy that probably like made this whole engineer of house of black going out there ortiz and eddie was a complete fail on my part i thought there was gonna be a big swerve here but i was wrong i could just see probably santana coming back to help ortiz and eddie probably mend their uh friendship here so that'll be great. After this, we have Brian Cage with Prince Nana in his corner going against Willie Mack. Brian Cage would win the match by pinfall by hitting the drill claw for the win. After this, we had the TBS champion Jay Cargill and Layla Gray going against Jane and Jordan Vanity. Jade and Layla Gray would win the match by pinfall when Jade would hit Jaded on one of the Vanities for the win. So this would rank up as Jade being now still undefeated, and she's now 49-0 in AEW. Now to the main event, Daniel Garcia going against Action Andretti. Action Andretti would win the match by pinfall by hitting a running shooting star press on Garcia for the win. So on Dynamite, it will be Action Andretti and Ricky Starks going against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Now with that, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. for the sky, boy.
Now, I'm probably the last guy that's probably talking about this, but I feel that for me to be a fan of the sport of professional wrestling, for me to be a fan of this profession, it wouldn't be right for me not to give a tribute to one of the greatest guys that were ever stepped foot in this business, stepped foot into the wrestling business of this generation of guys that are on television now. He will forever be known as one of the guys that never ever got the shot to be on national-wide television, and that man is Jay Briscoe. Jay Briscoe, he lost his life this week in a car accident. He was with his two daughters in his vehicle, and the other vehicle that crashed into him, um, the driver did not survive, and Jay Briscoe did not survive. Now, his daughters are living, they're breathing, they're in the hospital at the moment. Their relatives will give an update to them, but they're in stable conditions. But Jay Briscoe's family will be on a long, long road to recovery um, after this ordeal. Um, I don't know how to ever start this thing. I don't know how to even come across this thing, to be honest with you. I didn't know the man as a person... I wasn't a friend to him. I only knew this man as me being a fan. Only a fan. And for me to be a fan, to be hit by this, it's quite weird. I haven't been hit by a death like this for somebody that I did not know since probably Mac Miller. I mean, Brody Lee's, his death happened, and I was shocked by that. But I was able to, like, okay, his happened, and I was able to, like, okay, cool. But Jay Briscoe's, his thing just popped literally out of nowhere. And it's all because of a car accident. And I think that's what really shaking me to my core right now. Because we're all driving on the road every single week, every single day, every single minute. And you just don't know when somebody might pop you and your day might be done. You might be off this planet. And I don't know if that's the thing that's shaking me to my core or whatever the thing is. But hearing about Jay Briscoe's passing it it shook me to the core and then finding out more about the details it really shook me to my core more and more and it's just been sticking with me it's a saturday and he passed away on a tuesday afternoon the first time i heard about it was from twitter and people were saying pray for jay briscoe and his family i was like hold up what's going on and then i had to look around and then i see what happened and I go to NXT and I hear about it first and foremost from WWE on that thing saying we want to pray for Jay Briscoe's family because Jay Briscoe has passed away. Oh, I was stunned by it. And then more and more as the weeks, well not weeks, but days go by and you hear more and you just, wow, this is a, this is something else. And then you hear, read the, the tributes from his friends and former co-workers that he worked with in the wrestling profession, you hear how much love that Jay Briscoe had for them and how much love that they had for Jay Briscoe. And it just, it hits you more and more if you have a heart. It hits you more and more to see how much love this man was given and how much he has given other people so much love in the way that you read their stories or you watch the videos of people would put out there of Jay Briscoe. What really hit me to my core more was watching a Ring of Honor uh, tweet that resurfaced, and it was Jay Briscoe practicing with his daughter 
her cheer routine during quarantine. And for people that don't know, let me just backtrack this. Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe were two of the most intimidating looking guys when you see them on television or when you watch their promos on YouTube. You just believed that they were guys that could literally just pop you in the face and just beat you up. That's just what it was. Jay Briscoe, he just looked like, yo, I will really rip your head off if I have the opportunity to. You keep playing around. And you see him cheering with his daughter, practicing her routine. It just, it takes away from that. It shows the humanistic side of the person behind Jay Briscoe. And this is just weird and it's a shame that the Briscoe family has to go through this. It's a shame that their daughters will never get to see their father again. Their His son will never get to see his father again. His wife will never get to see her husband again. His brother, Mark, will never get to see his brother again. His parents, Papa Briscoe and Mama Briscoe, will never ever get to see their son again. It's all weird. This is a weird situation. But I don't want to come up here with sadness because it sounds like I'm sad right now. And part of me, I am. But I want to remember the life of Jay Briscoe. When you go to YouTube and you type in Briscoe promos, you can see Jay Briscoe just being (laughs) profane and profound, not profound, but just speaking profanity. And for me, I'm 26. I've been watching wrestling literally majority of my whole entire life. I didn't get into Ring of Honor until probably 2005, 2006, around that time frame. Whenever I really started developing and knowing what Ring of Honor was by going to YouTube and checking up on their uh, weekly highlights that Ring of Honor would put out on YouTube, showcasing the events that happened throughout their weekend loops. And you would see wrestlers that are now on TV back in their uh, undeveloped stages. Your Tyler Blacks, or better known as uh, Seth Rollins now, your Kevin Owens, your... Sami Zayn's, your Austin Aries, uh, CM Punk's, Cocobana. I mean, the list goes on and on. You get the drift here. You know Ring of Honor's lore. The Briscoes were always there for 20 years. The Briscoes were always Ring of Honor. As a matter of fact, when you think of Ring of Honor now, you're always going to think of the Briscoes because the Briscoes were literally, when you think about it, they were the only long tenure talent that never left Ring of Honor. I just list you some of the names that you can say right now, they left Ring of Honor. Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, he left. Austin Aries, he left. CM Punk, he left. Coco Banna, he left. Christopher Daniels, he left. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Homicide, Lowkey, Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards, Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness. The list goes on and on with names of Ring of Honor legends and lore that were in Ring of Honor, and they were actually able to go off and flourish in other companies and make bigger paychecks. While the Briscoes, they stood in Ring of Honor. Now, there was a time that they had tryouts in WWE. They never got signed to WWE. There's a promo from the Briscoes on that when they were talking about how WWE, at the time, they said the Briscoes were good that they knew what they were doing, but they weren't cosmetically pleasing and it might be too violent. So that's the reason why they didn't get signed to WWE at that time. 
and the Briscoes were upset at that. The promo was still up there. It's filled with a whole lot of passion from Jay Briscoe. Jay Briscoe was more of the mouthpiece to the team of him and Mark. And that is the great thing when you look back at these promos now from Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe. You get to see both of them in their element. Mark Briscoe being the uh, goofball of the team, while Jay is literally the radical, the lunatic type guy who's going to scream and just be profane and then that's just what it was with those two. Mixed with them being great in the ring, the Briscoes had it all. Literally, they had it all, and they will literally go down as one of the most underrated pieces of wrestling talent that never got utilized on the big stages of this modern era. I will stand behind that, and I think anybody truly that knows wrestling from the 2000s onward they know that the Briscoes are on that Mount Rushmore of guys that should have been on TV. They should have been on television, no matter what. And people are going to say, oh my God, what about Jay Briscoe's tweet that he did in 2013? Listen, Jay Briscoe tweeted out a tweet in 2013, and he apologized for that tweet. He apologized for it back then. He apologized for it years later. In 2022, he apologized for it again. And people within the LGBT community that are wrestlers, they talk to Jay Briscoe. And they see that Jay Briscoe meant his apology. They saw the action of Jay Briscoe. They saw the man that he was. And they knew that Jay Briscoe had changed. Everybody changes. So I don't understand why Warner Media would not allow the Briscoes to be on their television show and just allow Jay Briscoe to be up there and say, hey, I apologize for my past actions and blah, blah, blah. I'm a changed man. And just do that on a public forum and guarantee you, guess what? Everybody will be okay because guess what? Everybody makes mistakes in life. Everybody, every single person makes mistakes and it's all about how you change yourself. And Jay Briscoe, he put in the work when you hear from different people, you read the stories from people within the LGBTQ community talking about Jay Briscoe. They can tell that Jay Briscoe made the change. He had love in his heart. He was not an evil, malicious man. He wasn't that guy who sent out that tweet in 2013. He evolved and he grown and he showed love to everyone. And for the big wigs in Warner Media to tell Tony Khan to say, nah, you can't put a tribute show for Jay Briscoe on your television program. That's rotten and that's evil. That's pure grade A evil. I don't like that, but I'm not going to boycott AEW. I'm not going to boycott Tony Khan for that because Tony Khan went around that and he was able to still give tribute to Jay Briscoe in some form or fashion by letting his wrestlers that were friends with Jay Briscoe or had personal, um, that knew Jay Briscoe on a personal level to where the arm brand of Jay from your Young Bucks to your Jay Lethals to your Bandito to your Brian Danielson to your Tony Schiavone's to your Brian Cage, uh, Stokely Hathaway. I mean, he allowed these people to wear the armbands of Jay Briscoe on national television. Excalibur talked about Jay Briscoe on television 
at the beginning of Dynamite and also to end out Dynamite. And also, they taped a Jay Briscoe celebration show for Ring of Honor, which Tony Khan did tweet out saying that they're going to be airing that on Honor Club and YouTube. And if you have Honor Club, you can watch it for free. It's going to be free on Honor Club. So basically, you can just go there and just watch it. So they're going to be putting that out soon. And me personally, I know I'm going to watch it just like every other wrestling fan that knows of the Briscoes and feels the impact of the loss of Jay Briscoe. I want to send condolences to Mark Briscoe, his brother, who knew him for all of his life. And now has he doesn't have his brother right beside him. I want to send my condolences to his children that no longer have a father. I want to send my condolences to his wife, who no longer has a husband. I want to send my condolences to his uh, mother and father, who no longer have a son here on this planet. I just want to send my condolences to every member of the Briscoe family, because right now, you guys are going through hell right now. This is absolute hell, and I don't wish that on nobody, especially since this was completely just by chance situation. You guys didn't expect this. Jay Briscoe wasn't sick. He wasn't obese. He wasn't skinny. He didn't have some type of disease. No, he got into an unfortunate situation, and this is the result of it. So I want to wish my condolences to his family and his friends and his loved ones that knew him from the wrestling business and people outside the wrestling business that knew Jay Briscoe from the people in his community. Because when I looked more into Jay Briscoe, I started finding out Things about Jay Briscoe that, again, nobody knew unless you were in his uh, region, in his town. And this come from USA Today. They would talk about what Jay Briscoe has done in his community. They would say that Jay Briscoe is being remembered as a community leader. He was an assistant coach for the Laurel Middle School football team where his son played. He also coached a youth basketball team. I didn't know none of that. I didn't know none of this stuff. Because when I think of a wrestler, I think, okay, they get home, they have to wash their stuff, and then they have to just relax a little bit, try to uh, get themselves together for all the wear and tear that they torment from slamming each other on a mat. But no, it seems that he was constantly out there working. And by the way, I knew he has a chicken farm, so he has a farm and all that type of stuff. But doing more things, I didn't know none of that. And again, I'm a fan how am I supposed to know any of this? Because, again, fans are not supposed to know none of this. This is their real-life situation. But when stuff like this happens, all their personal information starts coming out. And you get to see who the real man was behind the character. And uh, it's a sad shame. It truly is. Again, I wish my condolences to this family and for his friends and uh, people that knew him. And for fans like myself that are uh, still trying to process this, because again, it's still weird to me as I'm just recording this. Still weird. And uh, I think you guys can hear it. So I'm going to tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to uh, wish you guys a happy Saturday. I want you guys to be safe. I want you guys to be careful on these roads, seriously. And I want you guys to go to your loved ones, call them, text them, do whatever you can. And seriously tell them that you love them and wish them nothing but the best and give them a big old hug because you don't know when uh, you can be taken off this planet. So with that, again, everyone, please be careful out there. Be careful on these roads. Be careful in 
life in general but just please be careful and i want you guys to have a great saturday i do love you all this is not me just saying that for this situation no i truly do mean that and i want everyone to be safe be careful and just uh appreciate everyone that you know and love because again they could be taken within a flash or you could be taken in a flash and we don't want nobody to ever uh, have any type of regrets without showing someone the proper love that they deserve so with that i love you i thank you i hope you guys tune into my sunday episode tomorrow but with that uh this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him and i love you all this is a goodbye this is to you from the sweet sounding voice again and kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh, jesus honey. wept